Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Amen. Hey, uh, man, our men had a great time fishing uh, yesterday. Man, the kids and men got together and... uh, Man, I believe I slayed it. I believe I am the winner. I just want to proclaim publicly that I think I have dusted you all off. Um, but um, there would be those who may disagree, right? Good try. Good try. Okay, that's good. Uh, Matt Wall and his crew, I know they were busy catching fish. But I think Team Frog, I mean, we brought it home. That's just what I think. Actually, Sam Gutierrez and I won. Are you out there, Sam? Oh, yeah, the Nothing Club. I forgot about that, yeah. <laughs> hey, with Ray and Mary's Lake out there, if it's harder to throw a line out and not get something in than it is to catch something. This, so. this is true, man. Well, I'm so glad you were good at that. Uh, I, I rejoice that you caught nothing. Uh, I, I'm so happy for you, brother. No, man, we had a great time, and man, I just want to say thanks to you, Ray, Mary, for opening up your, your place for us, man, for our church and our men to get together. What a blessing it was. Hey, last weekend, man, we had a date night and had a lot of fun. A lot of couples just laughing hysterically together, communicating together. The weekend before that, we had a Keeping Marriages Healthy marriage retreat with lots of couples that came out, man, building into marriages. And, uh, man, it's just been a blast around here to have so much fun. Amen? Aren't you part of, glad you're part of a church that loves each other and, man, celebrates marriages and makes much of Jesus? Man, this is just truly Truly fun. Um, man, it did my heart good, again, uh, just to see these kids catching these fish. It just, man, brought me back to a time and a day, man, when, you, you know, you're a kid and you just want one so bad. Most kids like catching, not fishing, right? And it's good to see that they caught some. So I'm happy, man. And uh, some of you dads, uh, man, who brought your kids out, I'm so thankful that you invested that time in their lives. I'm just so proud of you for doing what it takes to be a dad and spending time with your kiddos. Um, Not too long ago, back in 2014, matter of fact, on April the 19th, more than 36,000 runners got together to pound the pavement for the 118th running of the Boston Marathon. You may not remember, but in 2013, were the tragic events of the bombing that happened during that marathon. Three people were killed, numerous people were wounded, and so this race, of course, the year after was filled with much emotion. For the first time since 1983, an American won that race, and he was the first American to do so at the age of 38, and he was the first one to do so in 83 years. The names of the victims kind of he had from the previous bombing that took place the previous year, he had that kind of written on his little number thing, they call that a bib in racing, he had those Names written on his bib, and as he came around the corner to finish the race, man, everybody started chanting, USA, USA, and it was awesome. And he lifted his hands toward the sky, as runners do, and shouting with joy and triumph, and he crossed the finish line. I don't know if you uh, watched that. I don't know if that kind of interests you, but I found it hard to go back and watch things like that without it really moving and touching my heart. Such a thrilling display because running a marathon is something hard. (laughs) Uh, 
Um, I, I like to run my mouth. I can't imagine running a marathon, two completely different things. But you know, it's worth celebrating. In Philippians chapter 3, in the joyous advancement of the gospel, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21, Paul uses an intense running analogy, kind of like a marathon, to describe the Christian life. Having described his passionate, all-consuming verse, uh, his desire in verse 10, that he may know Christ, the apostle now moves to tell the Philippians that, hey, you know what, I want to know Christ. I want to know him more, but I'm in hot pursuit. I'm not getting stagnant about this thing. Matter of fact, I'm not even slowing down. I'm still running hard after Jesus. John MacArthur has some things to say. I borrow from his insight here. He said, some in Philippi might have mistakenly assumed that having gained those marvelous benefits that Christ talked about, those things being a Hebrew of Hebrews and Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin, all those things as to the law righteous that the Judaizers may have taught and even thought that spiritual perfection was attainable just through circumcision or keeping the law. There were also some heretics there in the church in Philippi. There are forerunners of the second century Gnostics who taught that spiritual perfection awaited those who obtained a certain level of knowledge. So to counter these ideas, Paul quickly writes this passage to say, hey, listen, spiritual perfection this side of heaven is impossible. Paul says, hey, look, I've got a, I'm a new creature. I've got a new heart. I've got a new disposition. I desire holiness. I'm united with Christ. I possess a renewed mind. I've got a right standing before God. I've been justified before God. I've been forgiven by God. I have Christ's righteousness inside of me, but I'm still not perfect. Paul says, hey, I'm still subject to temptation. I still possess an unredeemed nature. I'm still a sinner. Far from having obtained perfection, Paul says, I'm still in this pursuit of Christ's likeness with all my might. Paul understands the Christian life is a lifelong process of growing, as 1 Peter, 2 Peter says, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. No Christian will ever become perfect in this life. That awaits the redemption of the body. Perfection in this life will always be a goal it will never be an achievement. If we say that we do not sin, we make God a liar because God says that we all still do. So here's the question maybe that kind of gets out there is, why would people even bother continuing to grow in Christ? Well, the idea here is, is that spiritual children, like physical children, can't help but grow. <laughs> it's something that's gonna happen to you the moment that you come to Christ. There's this built-in kind of process by which God wants you to continue to grow. Christ's likeness is the prize that must be pursued, but it won't be attained this side of heaven. So Paul is going to move into the practicals of how this happens in verses 17 through 21. Uh, but now he begins here in verses 12 through 16, telling us really it's kind of like this. If you're going to get into running, there's some prerequisites you have to know. You have to know about the right kind of shoes. You have to go know about the right kind of a diet. You kind of have to know you're in it for the long haul, not shorting if you're going to do long distance running. So what are the prerequisites, Paul, for us to begin running after Jesus? Well, he tells us six of them, beginning in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. I wonder, would you rise to your feet in honor of reading of God's word? Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. We're just going to read 12 through 16 this morning. God says this through his word. 
Not that I have already obtained it. What is that power? What is that Paul? Not that I've already attained being like Christ or have already become perfect. What does he say, church? But I what? I press on. So that, he tells us, that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are as perfect, have this attitude, And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. May God bless the reading of his word and you may be seated. Here's the first prerequisite Christ Christ has got for us today. Paul says, hey, listen, we got to be pressing on toward this prize. So, So Paul, what are you talking about? Well, he says pressing on requires a proper confession. It requires a proper confession because in verse 12, he says, I haven't made it yet. I haven't arrived. I'm not really perfect yet. All that we now are in Jesus, we're going to enjoy forever. I have to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. Positionally, there's nothing that we can do to improve upon our status positionally before the Lord. But practically, we have a lot to work on. This side of heaven, we're still pressing on. Knowing that, though, shouldn't cause us to be casual or complacent. In other words, knowing that one day I will be made perfect shouldn't cause us to just let go here, kind of let it all kind of loose and take our time. It really should put zeal in us. That's the spirit work in us, and it's the longing of our regenerated souls. So the awareness of the need to improve my spiritual condition is the prerequisite for actually becoming like him. Paul had that awareness and he expressed it in two words in verse 12. He says, not that. Begins verse 12 with not that. Not yet having obtained to receive, to acquire the prize he pursued. He hasn't become perfect. That word means to attain perfection, to reach a goal or to accomplish something you wanted to accomplish. He uses the word already twice to indicate that he's still not there yet. So pursuing the prize of spiritual perfection begins with the dissatisfaction that I'm not there yet. It's only those who are aware of their spiritual need for Christ who come to Christ, and it's only those who continue to recognize their need to be made like Christ who will continue to be made like Christ. The reality is the more we come to know Christ, the more we will come to sense that we need to grow. That's the first prerequisite. The second one is this. Pressing on requires a personal commitment, not just a proper confession. A personal commitment. He says there in verse 12, he says this, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. You see, our confession and awareness of our need to continue to press on is not enough because now there must be this personal commitment to press on, a diligent pursuit, if you will. Paul says, I press on. That means to run, to follow hard after. It means using all of my energy in an aggressive, energetic endeavor. Paul pursued the spiritual prize with all his might. In other words, the idea is that when you watch a runner straining with all their might, using every muscle, this is the imagery which Paul uses to say that I'm pressing on. But then he says, well, what are you doing, Paul? He says, well, I'm pressing on that I may lay hold of that 
which was lay hold of me. That verb lay hold of, it's interesting. It means to overtake. Really, it means to seize. Paul was running spiritually to seize the very thing that Jesus Christ had seized him for. We see how gritty Paul's resolve is in the original Greek. It's tinged with kind of even violence, if you would like to say. Paul's saying, but I pursue it if indeed I may seize it, because indeed I have been seized by Jesus. Paul's rough words there explicitly point to his conversion on the Damascus Road, where the risen, exalted Christ seized him for his own. As Paul walked near Damascus, the mighty hand of Christ reached down, seized him by the scruff of his robe, and set him on a path to Ananias' house, and then to Arabia, and then to the Gentile world as a great, great apostle. Paul expressed his desire to know the risen Christ because he was in the grip of God's grace. Paul's whole pursuit of Christ was Christ-originated, Christ-motivated, and Christ-propelled. But what was the goal in saving Paul? The apostle stated in Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to do what? To come, become conformed to the image of the Son. God chose Paul, as he did you and me, to be made like Jesus. That's the purpose for which Jesus has laid hold of us. That's the purpose for which we live. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 says, It was for this he called you through the gospel, Paul wrote, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus. The Christian life is a lifelong pursuit of Christ's likeness. It takes a deep personal commitment to keep pressing on. And that was the Lord's goal in saving Paul, and it's his goal in response. But then he tells us the third requirement. He says, pressing on requires a particular concentration. A particular concentration, because in verse 13 he says, Brethren, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it, but one thing I do. Lots of effort without focused and particular concentration is what? It's useless. Every athlete knows that runners in a race must fix their eyes ahead of them, right? Those who kind of watch the crowd or even look at their feet or even look over their shoulder will eventually slow down. They could trip, they could fall. In a race like this, the runners have to keep looking at a what? The finish line, which is straight ahead. Paul mentions, though, that he hasn't reached it yet. Paul hasn't received, achieved spiritual perfection, and it's this discontent in him that keeps him running. But he says, it's the one thing I do. This is complete concentration. It's incredible focus. It draws upon the metaphor of a foot race. And it says, hey, the past, I, I can't look what's behind me. I have to keep straining forward to that which is ahead because I'm reaching that goal that's out there. Paul is forgetting what lies behind is a special kind of forgetfulness. It's the kind that doesn't turn and glance back to indulge in whatever happened in the past. The, the good things that I used to do for Jesus, I'm, I'm still counting on those. I've kind of been there and done that. Well, no, that isn't going to help you. What about the bad things? Maybe before I wasn't as much like Jesus and I got off in a crazy kind of things. It kind of got sideways. No, don't look at that either. Leave the, the past back there. If you and I want to continue to press on, we can't look back to the good old days when we're following Christ with all we had or when the church had better programs or, or better music or we can't look back. We must forget what achievements we've had in the past as well as what failures we've had. You see, a runner, you may know this, who looks back 
risks being passed. What does a runner, runner's performance in the past race guaranteed success in this race? Nor does a failure in the past race guaranteed failure in this race. What matters is exercising maximum effort in the pre- present so you can sustain the momentum in the future. See, what we see here is Paul made a break with everything in his past, both good and bad. So there's religious achievements, those virtuous deeds, those great successes in ministry, as well as our sins, those missed opportunities and disasters must all be forgotten because they don't control the present or the future. I can't live on past victories, nor can I be debilitated by the guilt of past sins. I've got to forget what lies behind. May I tell you this, that churches, listen carefully, churches are full of spiritually crippled people. They're paralyzed by past grudges. They're paralyzed by past bitterness and past sins and tragedies of the past. And Paul says, listen, if we're going to keep pressing on, we've got to what? Forget what lies behind. No one, declared Jesus, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. At first, Clause describes the runner not looking back over his shoulder. The second pictures this runner straining forward to what lies ahead with all that he has. It's a vivid word picture from the games, from the Olympic games. And it pictures a runner with his eyes fixed on the goal and his hand stretching out toward it and his body bent forward as he enters that last stage of the race. It's in the present tense because it describes the, the runner's intense desire and the utmost effort of every single step of his leg. The runner's breathing at this point has become very shallow. It's become shallow because he has less air to run with now. His feet are pounding the course with painful thunder. His throat is very dry. His stomach is beginning to ache and he lays himself out for the finish, sweat flying off of his head and his outstretched arms flailing in the air to get to the goal. Paul says, I strain with all that I have. We can't let up. We can't look at past success or past failures. We can't look at present success or present failures. We have to keep our eyes on this goal. So Paul says, what is the goal? I press on toward the goal over the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. You see, it's the vision of the end of the race that makes him even run harder and faster. In the terms of the modern athlete, he sees that yellow tape 50 yards ahead and his adrenaline jolts him to do what? Put in that last kick, you hear. He runs faster, his arms pushing, his arms straining. He's pushing now off of his toes. The goal, listen to me, church, please hear me and hear me well. The goal is not for you and I to become good moral people. The goal for you and I is not to sin even less. Those things are a byproduct The goal is for you and I to become like Jesus. The goal is to become like Jesus, to to pray like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to live like Jesus. It's all about Jesus, amen. Proverbs chapter four, verses 25 through 27, Solomon counseled this. He said, let your eyes look directly ahead of you and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. When believers have one driving compulsion to be like Christ, they move forward toward the goal of spiritual perfection in Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? 
run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they do it to receive a crown that will fade away, but we a crown that will never fade away. Therefore, I don't run like one who aimlessly runs aimlessly or boxes like one who's beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. The idea comes again in Hebrews chapter 12, when it says, therefore, since we also have a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. What is it? Keeping my eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay down before him endured a cross, despised the shame and is set down at the right hand of God's throne. If you and I want to grow in maturity, I need passion and discipline. You see, earning is not a good word for Christians because we don't earn any acceptance before God. And while we may not use earning, a good word for the Christian life is effort. We must give a lot of effort to become those people that God has asked us to be in Jesus. So I have to press on with a particular concentration. The goal that I must focus on is being like Jesus. But then Paul tells me there's another prerequisite. It's number four. Pressing on requires a precise cause, a precise cause. In verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The root word of the meaning of the preposition there when he says, I press on toward. The root word is coming from a word which means down. In other words, you could say this. Paul is really, if I were to paraphrase, he's saying this. I'm continually bearing down upon the goal. That was the prize that motivated him. Believers will not receive the prize until the upward call of God comes in Jesus. We sang about it this morning. When that trumpet sounds and we rise, then we will receive the prize. But until then, we have to keep running. Like a runner pumping his fist as he approaches that finish line, Paul said, In 2 Timothy 4, he said this, I fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. But it's only in the future. This crown of righteousness, this wreath that they would put on the runner's head, it's only when I get to heaven that I'll get that. But that is my cause. That's what I'm after. The year was 1923, and the competing teams of Scotland and France were neck and neck. Among the events remaining was the 440. Runners in the 1920s were in their traditional white uniforms, and they came to their turn, and they were bunched all tight, and they were shoulder to shoulder. But Then one of them got pushed off the track and fell to the ground. For a second, this runner was down, and then he was up again. Then he was 20 meters behind. His knees high, his head back, he began to what most people say, he began to just glide. And as the leader sprinted to the finish line, he somehow surpassed them to win the race. You want to see it, want to hear about it, want to read about it, watch or read the book Chariots of Fire. What would most runners have done if they had been in a race of such magnitude and have fallen around the curve? realizing they were 20 meters behind, what would most people do? Most people would have just what? Gave up. 
they would have begun to blame. They would have been to criticize. They would have begun to just maybe get mad. Perhaps maybe a few words would have been exchanged after the race, right? But the athlete in question here was beyond ordinary. It was as he'd been reading this very passage. He said, forgetting what has happened behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I put all of my energy on reaching the goal. I must finish the race. Well, but that's our cause. Our motivation is to finish this race and to receive the prize. I have to live by this precise cause. But then Paul says this. He says, pressing on requires persistent cooperation. Persistent cooperation because in verse 15 he says, let us therefore, as many are as perfect, have this attitude. And this is crazy. And if anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. You see, listen, brother. Paul was not in this race alone. And this race, it takes all of us to, to keep pushing each other on. It's described by those as, as many as are as perfect. Paul is not speaking of practical perfection because that would contradict what he said earlier. Rather, again, this is he talking about those of us who are positionally perfect in Christ, who are working it out practically in this life. And Paul is using a little bit of sarcasm to talk about those people who think that you can be perfect. But anyway, he says this, every true Christian must have the same attitude that Paul had. When he says that, it literally could be translated to think this way, to be intent in this way, to set one's mind with others in this way. Continually be like this is the attitude. I must have a persistent cooperation with Christ, with the people of God, to become more like Jesus. What I find interesting here is that Paul is an experienced pastor, and he knows that not everybody in his congregation is going to share his, what, his passion to keep running after Jesus. He, he realizes not everybody's going to share his fervor and his excitement for Jesus like he has. And what does Paul say? This is, this is interesting. He says, if you don't have that attitude to press on toward Christ with me, God will reveal that to you. In other words, you're still not going to get to get away from it. Jesus is going to make sure that you're still pursuing after him. The Holy Spirit will do whatever it takes to get your attention, to get you back into your lane. Pressing on requires this proper confession, this personal commitment, a particular concentration, a precise cause, persistent cooperation. And lastly, pressing on requires a pattern consistency. A pattern consistency. Verse 16, he says, however... Let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. The idea here is, is when he says, however, it's better translated in the Greek, maybe this way. One more thing. <laughs> it's often used to describe one final thought. This last prerequisite is described as consistency. Having all the other prerequisites, now believers must consistently keep living to that same standard to which we have attained. That idea to keep living means to line up or to follow in line. In other words, believers must keep the spiritual path they have been following. To use the metaphor of a race, you would have to know this. It means really to keep running in your lane. Keep running in the lane that Jesus has destined for you. Keep running in the lane of holiness. Keep running in the lane of obtaining Christ's likeness. Just keep running in your lane. Beloved, I want to remind you that we have four resources to help us pursue this prize. First is the Word of God. Peter said, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the Word so that you may grow in respect to salvation. 
Then the idea here is the second is prayer, which Justin and I have tried to make an intense effort about prayer here. But it's by praying that we may be made complete, the scripture says. The third thing is, is following godly examples. Paul says, hey, be imitators of me as I follow Jesus. The last thing is, is we sang about it when we sang it is well, and that is trials. Because the Bible says in 1 Peter 5.10, it says, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So you think about it, the word of God, the people of God, the prayers to God, and then the trials that come from God. These are four things that will keep us in the race. As I talked to you about Eric Liddell, the Flying Scotsman, did you know that he was already famous when he made that phenomenal comeback win in the 440? He was already famous, and his fame continued to increase as a runner and as a Christian. At the Paris Olympics in 1924, when he refused to run his best event, which was the 100 meters and the 4 by 100 relay, he refused to run his best event because they were on a Sunday because he had Christian convictions that the Sunday was the Sabbath. And Chariots of Fire inaccurately portrays that as a last-minute decision in Paris. He had already decided well in advance that he wasn't going to run, and he began training for the 200 and 400-meter races, which weren't his best races. Liddell took a bronze in the 200 and shocked the world by winning the 400 in a world-record time of 47.6 seconds. He was... A runner. And he says he felt he had the, the wind of God with him when he ran. But she said that was only one manifestation of his devotion to Christ because in 1925, he completed his degree in science at Edinburgh and had a degree in divinity. And he set sail as a missionary to China with the China Inland Mission. In 1932, during his first time back, he married Florence McKenzie. In 1941, facing the growing threat of Japanese occupation, he sent his wife and three daughters to Canada to stay with their family while he continued to suffer and serve among the poor. Liddell suffered many hardships, but he kept running hard after Jesus. And then in 1943, he was put into an internment camp where he again cheerfully suffered and served with those around him. And in 1945, at the age of 43, Eric Liddell died of a brain tumor that may have been caused by the malnourishment and the overwork of being in that internment camp. Liddell's grave is marked by a simple wooden cross, and his name is written on it in boot polish. You can see it in the Mausoleum of Martyrs in a place in China. I don't know what is written in boot polish on his grave marker. But I would like to say maybe it says something like this. He died running. Paul says, forget what lies behind. Strain forward to that which lies ahead and press on for the prize of the upward call. I wonder today, could you and I just keep pressing on? Jeremy and those who maybe want to play our invitation today, you're welcome to come. I think maybe if we have to kind of land this, let's land it this way. I want to encourage you today. I don't want you to feel like you're a spiritual failure or that, man, you aren't pressing on and you feel guilty. I want to encourage you today. I want to just challenge your heart just a little bit. Do you know the power of just doing one thing differently? 
I'm not asking you to do everything. What if you just did one thing? Maybe it's just you just said, hey, you know what? I'm just going to try to pray once a week. It could change everything. What if it is you just say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to try to read one book of the Bible, not the whole Bible. Just one thing. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to try to give a tithe at least once this month. Just one. It's just one thing. What, what if I just said, you know what? This year, I'm going to share my testimony just one time with one person. I mean, what is the one thing that you could do to keep running after Jesus? Well, just one thing. The power of one thing is exponential. So thinking about it, man, if I think about one thing, what, what could it be in your time? I mean, just changing one thing. I'm going to watch one less show and I'm going to read one more book about the things of God power of one thing with your time what about your talents you know what instead of doing this for me I'm going to do this to help somebody else what if that's just one change what about your treasure you know what this week for lunch I'm not going to buy me lunch I'm going to buy somebody else lunch that I know probably can't afford lunch Just, just one thing Again, what about your testimony? I mean, how, have you, you want to share that, right? I know you do. Maybe it's that I don't really share the whole thing, but I just try, right? I just try one time to share how God's changed my life with just one person. I just try. Maybe that's what I need to do. What about my thought life? I mean, what's just one thing? I can just take one thought and make it captive to Christ. Just one thought, the power of one thought. And I don't know where you're at today, but I know God wants us to press on. As I was preparing this message, the Lord Jesus continued to spoke this into my heart. See, there's some trying to push you out. Just keep pressing on. Your sin wants to just take you and sideline you, but you just keep pressing on. Your family, you got issues and struggles there, man, and it can just get you into depression, but Steve, you just keep pressing on. Those who want to criticize, man, just just keep pressing on. Though I feel like a failure most days, man, just keep pressing on. Where are you at today? You want to press on with me? I have some others just going to line up in the race with me. Let's do a Boston Marathon for Jesus. Amen. Let's just all get in the race. We ain't going to finish at the same time and definitely going to finish at the same pace. But can we get in the same race? Amen. We're fixing to sing this song called Nothing Else. And I hope that you've come today to realize, man, that today nothing else matters. Nothing else matters but Jesus. Some of you may be in the sound of my voice. Maybe you're watching by way of internet. Maybe you're going to be driving your car to get lunch. And you're going to hear this message. And you're like, what was that all about? Well, really, it's simply this. I want you to know this. There's a God who created you. 
created you to be in relationship with him and he loves you so very deeply. The Bible says you're probably not even in the race because you're headed the other way. I mean, the finish line is this way, but, but we have chosen to go our own way. We've got our own goals. We've got our own prizes we're after, and it's called sin. And when we turn from God and turn to do things our way, we're living according to our sinful nature. The sad reality is is we don't have the power to change. We don't have the power to switch. We're slaves to that which we're chasing after. Beloved, the Bible says the wages of going that way is death. It's spiritual separation from God. It's physical separation. You will die and be eternally separated from all that is good spend an eternity in a place called hell. But the Bible says that Jesus took off after you. And he ran you down because he came to seek and save that which is lost. And Jesus says, I don't want you to end up in destruction. I want you to come with me. Will you follow me? Will you turn from your sinful desires and your ways, running after your own things, and will you follow me and let's run towards this prize? Would you follow me, become like me, run with me, and I take you to heaven. I take you to the Father. Would you turn to me? I will forgive you of all that. I will make you new, and I will give you strength and the power to change. I will give you everything if you'll just trust that I can do it. You say, well, how? Because Jesus died upon a cross. That's how. He died to pay for all that that we were doing. He he died to be raised again, to give us forgiveness, to help us change, to give us the power to do that. Jesus rose from the dead and stands here in this room through me saying to you, do you need him? Is today the day that you will turn your eyes toward the prize of Jesus? You can make today that day. So to the believer today, maybe you've gotten just a little bit slow. (laughs) I just want you to know, man, God will provide you what you need today. I wonder if you'd stand with me together, if you would. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit of God, I... I, I pray that today you've taken this word and you've spoken to people's hearts. And I pray that they've heard you and that they will respond in their souls to what it is you want. Have your way now, Jesus. We pray it in your name. Amen. And we'll be down here to receive you if you need to pray, you need to receive Christ. If you need anything in any way, we'll be down here to receive you as you come as the Lord leads.